It's the Jenny Hatch Show, and I'm your host. It is September 11th, 2022, and I thought it would be an interesting show today to capture what everyone was doing on 9-11, the actual day. So I thought I'd start with my story, and if you're a guest and you're chiming in, uh, please feel free to get in the queue and share your story. It was definitely a, a moment in time for everyone in America, especially, but also around the world. And so it's good to remember our history and document what we did on that day, how we felt, and what we believe the lasting impact has been from those activities. So I'm a prepper. I grew up in a prepping family. And so my response to 9-11 was typical to just about any sort of event that had happened up to my life at that point. We live out in Colorado, and whenever we have a fire or a flood or some sort of incident that makes it obvious that we need to do some more prepping, that's our go-to position. And so 9-11 was no different. We had woken up that morning, it was a school day, and had planned to keep our kids out of school because my baby sister was traveling through the Denver airport on her way to um, Italy, where she was about to start a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She was one of these young missionaries, you see, around town. And she had left Provo, Utah, Salt Lake Airport, and flown to Denver and had quite a significant stopover. And so we decided we were going to go down to the airport and just bring a picnic and eat with her and spend some time with her. And then she'd be off on her way to Italy. So um, we did not find out about the towers coming down until we drove up the road to DIA and the Denver airport, and they did not allow us into the airport. Uh, we were stopped by a policeman probably a good mile out from the, the airport on Peña Boulevard. He said, you have to turn around and go back. And we said, what's going on? And he said, we're trying to figure out who bombed us. And that was all he said, who bombed us. So we turned on the radio and drove back home to Louisville. And we're just shocked like everybody else to, to learn what had happened. I spent that day off and on all day trying to locate my sister because I was really concerned with the grounding of all the airplanes. I was concerned where she was, what was going on. This is the, the little girl who I was 12 when she was born and I had spent those six years that I still lived at home, you know, watching her grow up as a baby into a little six-year-old child. And then I left home and, you know, she's she was dear to me. And so I was curious to know where she was. Uh, we eventually found out that her plane had been diverted to a Midwest airport. I can't remember which state. And the The missionaries had been um, kept together. There was a big group of them who were all going to Italy, and for three days they stayed at this airport until they were allowed to continue on their way. So I did eventually hear that, and that was a great relief. But the other thing we did that day is we pulled out all of our 72-hour kits, and these are bug-out bags that, um, you know, 
It's basically food, water, clothing that you anticipate needing in case you have to leave your home. And so I had always had 72-hour kits ready to go since like the first year of our marriage. But with four little kids, um, you know, they grow so fast that it's often difficult to keep up with the clothing in the kits. And so a year or two would go by and I'd go look at them like, oh, none of this fits. So I got in the habit of storing uh sweatpants, which can double as pajamas, and I would get them two sizes bigger than my kids were. And I, I usually bought these clothes at thrift stores because during a trauma, you don't really care how you're dressed. I just wanted them to be warm and comfortable. So I went ahead and redid our 72-hour kits, put fresh food in there, uh, replaced the water, and then, um, you know, we had them all ready to go. I really felt like it was important and I had wanted to do this for years, but given the nature of the day, I decided to go down to the Army Navy store in Boulder, which is like 10 minutes from our house and buy gas masks for the whole family. Because during that day, you were hearing all sorts of reports from regular media, alternative media about what was happening. And it was very confusing. And so I just felt like it would be smart to have the gas masks on hand. So I did go down and buy seven of them for our family, maybe six, because I hadn't had my youngest son yet, and brought them home and put them in our kits. And I just said, okay, you know, if we have to bug out and there's chemical, biological warfare, a nuke goes off, whatever, we, at least we've got the gas masks to last for a couple days. Uh, these were Israeli gas masks. And, um, you know, I just remember walking into the store with my kids and, the owners, you know, just like, what is she doing here? What are you doing? And, you know, we're just here to buy some gas masks. And some of the other customers were like, dang, you know. But to me, this is the way you respond when you're terrorized. You don't um, run and hide. You don't get, you know, bottled up with terror so that you can't do anything. Uh, they call that a freeze in psychological terms. You don't freeze. Uh, fight or flight often kicks in with, um, you know, trauma, terror. But the way to diffuse that is with proactive work. Doing something active helps to diffuse the energy. And I really wanted to model that to my kids. I'd studied a lot about survival throughout my childhood and my 20s. And in 2001, I was, what, 30-something, 32, 33. And so... Um, I wanted my kids to see that when we have this big thing happen in our lives, uh, life goes on, you buckle down and do some prepping. And that is the way to overcome your fears. If you're prepared, you will not fear. That's the old biblical injunction. And so I wanted to teach them some preparedness and model that. And it helped me to do proactive things and to take that trip down to the Army Navy store and just put those gas masks in our bug out bag and just, just kind of feel like, okay, come what may, we are ready. And it, it helped. Uh, the next day I kept my kids home from school because you started almost immediately hearing things about military being deployed. And I had two brothers who were career military, one of whom lived in um, Germany. He was a JAG attorney with the army and I was really concerned that he was going to have to be deployed. And at the time, he was a young father with young sons. And I just was feeling really.
on my own show. Uh, that's the second time that's happened. What's up, Colin? Somebody's messing with my connection. Anyway, um, I was really concerned about my brother being deployed, and he, he eventually was to Iraq, uh, into the green zone. He was there for a year. But um, I kept the kids home from one, for one more day from school just so we could have some time together as a family to talk and process. And then the next day I sent him back to school. So um, that was how we did our day. Nobody's showing up here to talk. What's going on, Colin? Is anybody interested in talking about 9-11? Um, I guess I will just keep monologuing it. Sometimes when this happens, you know, so many people come to call in and start a show and immediately people will just pop up and start joining in. And that's great. And I wish that would happen to me. I don't have enough of a following yet to have that happen. I'm pretty much banned from all social media, so I can't tweet out the show to my followers on Twitter. They probably couldn't see it anyway back in the day because I've been shadow banned for so many years. But anyway, I will just continue on sharing my thoughts on 9-11 because like everyone, I believed the narrative that it was a terrorist attack and that it was Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda. And they were being housed in caves in Afghanistan and uh, perhaps had ties to Iraq and other actors in the Middle East and that we needed to do something and we needed to do it fast. And so um, I was all in with that. I felt like uh, most Americans that, uh, this was something that had to be avenged and explored and dealt with. I was disgusted by Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 video that he put out that was one of the most watched documentaries of that year. I actually went, so many people were talking about that movie online that I decided to go watch it in the movie theater because I wanted to understand what he was saying. And the one thing he pointed out that I do agree with is what what was this Osama bin Laden family on 9-11 being uh, flown out of the United States when everybody else is grounded and cannot go anywhere. Why were they taken out of the country? So that was a good question. And I, I was grateful later, I was grateful to Michael Moore for pointing that out because it pointed to something bigger and more conspiratorial than what we were being told in the media. So for a couple of years, I accepted the 9-11 um, talking points from the government. I went down to a bookstore, and when the, the report came out, there was an investigation. I bought the book the very day it dropped. So I, again, I wanted to understand. I wanted to read. I wanted to, to know what they were saying. I can't remember what that report was called, but um, you know, they put it out in book form, and I read it. I was getting weekly reports from my brother, through emails to the whole family about what he was seeing on the ground in Iraq. And before he went into Iraq, uh, as I said, he's an attorney, a whole helicopter full of his fellow attorneys was shot down in Iraq. All of his buddies, people he'd, uh, you know, spent time in their homes and with their kids interacting and friends uh, were killed. And so when my brother went into Iraq, it felt very, very scary to have him going into that space. And yet his emails were upbeat and positive and he felt like they were doing good work and he was there for a year. And so I got that bird's eye view of what was happening, at least in the green zone. 
But like everyone, I heard conflicting reports from various bloggers and Michael Yan was one of the, the main bloggers who was writing incredible reports on his blog. And um, later I read some books that were written by military people who had gone into Iraq. And I, I, there weren't a lot of bloggers reporting on the ground in Afghanistan. That came later with some of these big budget movies you saw from Hollywood about the snipers and um, various actors who, uh, and when I say actor, I mean soldiers who were uh, saved by people in their, in their community. Uh, and so, but early on in Afghanistan, you didn't have this on the ground reporting like you had in Iraq. So I read a blog written by a man in America who grew up in a Kurdish family. His parents had been murdered by Saddam. He had very decided views about what was happening. And I was also kind of tapped into the community of Iraqis who live. I've now been kicked out of my own chat on Colin. What's going on, guys? You know, don't like me talking about this subject. Anyway, um, I, I followed the work very closely and I wrote many passionate blog posts defending President Bush, defending uh, the choices made to deploy our military and promoting the cause of uh, democracy, helping countries that had been under the thumb of totalitarian systems um, like the one that Saddam Hussein and his sons had in Iraq, freeing the people from those tyrannies, helping them set up constitutional republics, helping them get their people out to vote. Remember the purple finger for Iraq? They inked up everybody's finger after they voted to make certain there was no illegal voting going on. I wish we had that in America. In-person voting and everybody has to dip their finger in some purpose that they have already voted. Boy, that would that would change everything today if we did that. Um, no provisional ballots, no mail-in ballots. We could have some free and fair elections in America for the first time in a long time if we did that. Anyway, I was excited for what I was seeing on the news and reading on these other blogs and hearing from my brother. I was excited for the people of Iraq that they had been freed, that the democracy that they hungered for was being set up, and I was proud of the work that was happening. Uh, things changed for me significantly when I read a report. Iraqi farmers who were using heirloom seeds had been arrested as terrorists because they were unwilling to use the seeds provide, provided to them by Monsanto. And I remember writing a blog post about this, cross-posting it at Free Republic and interacting with the guys at Free Republic about what the claim was. And, and it was like, wait a minute, what is this? What's going on? You know, did we invade this country in order to allow these big corporations to set up shop and shut out local farmers and their seeds and shut them down and then replace it with this, you know, hybridization GMO crap? Is that what the war was about? So I started asking questions like that and backing away from my support of the war. 
And once you kind of make the decision to uh, expand your thinking around these types of issues, it really does open the floodgates for the opportunity for you to just kind of dig and find out what the facts are. And so I started reading Julian Assange's reports. I started watching documentaries that were passionately being produced by the families, some of the families whose loved ones died in New York that day. And I even listened to people like uh, Donald Trump, you know, and others on the ground in New York who were questioning the official narrative from the government. And I, I still believe that story needs to be told. I don't think we have all the facts. I have read a lot of content around the internet, particularly from people like architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, the Building 7 campaign, and these, these families, some of whom refused to take victim compensation money because they felt like that was blood money that was just designed to silence them, shut them up, and they've just kept speaking very loudly asking certain questions. And so I am someone who likes to think I'm liberally minded, that I can see what's really going on and am willing to step back from my own preconceived idea. My own chat. I'm back. Um, this is getting weird. The censorship. I call in. What are you guys doing? Free speech. Free speech. Remember, that's the whole premise. Colin was built on free speech. Anyway, I um, I watched the documentary Loose Change. I did listen to people like Alex Jones because even though I think he's somewhat crazy. Every once in a while, he, he spreads a truth bomb. And more than him, I was interested in the work that was being done by the guys attached to We, uh, we Are Change. We Are Change New York. We Are Change Colorado. These were indie journalists who were doing some on-the-ground investigations that, to me, felt solid. And the, in, uh, the group in Colorado was the only group who was willing to cover a rally that I organized in 2009 at the Capitol around the H1N1 vaccine. And so I love these guys because they showed up with their cameras. I held a, we held a press conference for Dr. Leonard Horowitz and they interviewed him and took it seriously. I, inv I had invited every member of the media uh, in Colorado, print, video, everybody tied to news on TV and they all ignored this event except for the we are change guys from colorado so a place in my heart for them if they they really do good work um you started hearing things about people who are whistleblowers being murdered and there was a particular engineer in holland who questioned how the buildings came down he believed there were explosives involved he he died untimely accident and my own alma mater, BYU, there was a physics professor who questioned the official narrative, and he also was uh, fired from the university for asking questions. And uh, to my knowledge, he has never wavered on his belief that um, the planes did not bring the building down. It was, it was a controlled demolition. So 
probably like 2012 ish, 2011. I interviewed a young reporter named Jonathan Elinoff on my radio show on the anniversary day of 9 11. And he had created a documentary that was simply news reports from that day, mainstream media news reports. Uh, it included the pretty famous video of a British journalist talking about how Building 7 was down. And in the background of her report, you could see Building 7 coming down in real time with her report. And so it was things like that, like who in the media was being told certain things. And then here we've got this literal video evidence of what they've reported happened a couple hours before. And no, it's happening right now. So it was it was things like this that he pointed out in his documentary. And then just in talking to him, um, he had done some serious military training and had some insights that I hadn't considered. Unfortunately, that show was censored and I no longer have access to it. But around that same time, I had Barbara Hartwell on my radio show and she explained to me some things about how uh, you can call them the uh, establishment, the one worlders, the world government types. Uh, Trump calls them, you know, the deep state. But she explained to me how they think and and then line it up with what they do. And she, she said that the choice to have this event happen on September 11th was not an accident, that they wanted that 911, as if you're making a 911 call, as part of the story on that day and evermore. 911. I'm back. Barbara wanted to point out that the 911 date was not an accident. If you look back at history, September 11th is a significant day in American history when many historic events took place. And you can do the research on what else has happened on September 11th. It's an important day. And again, the 911 notion that we need to reach out to um, this person on the other end of a phone call to come and save us from whatever, that psych psychological um, manipulation was a part of that date being chosen. And she just said it out loud. She said, I believe the 9-11 attack was a blood sacrifice. And to the deep state's satanic um, network, a, a ritual satanic um, blood sacrifice indicates a level of evil, you know, to do it on that massive a scale where you have thousands of people who've died, all the first responders who died, and then the after effects of all the wars. Um, it's, it's significant to them that this blood sacrifice kick off a new level of evil. And I believe over the past 21 years, uh, they've largely succeeded in so many of their goals you know, in terms of just turning the world towards uh, like the World Economic Forum and their goals for humanity, pointing people towards uh, government agencies as being their lords and saviors instead of Jesus Christ or other religious figures. They really want people bowing down to the government and looking at them as their saviors. And then all of the um, 
observational things with the NSA and the taking away of people's privacy, you know, this, this subservience that happens when you've got this surveillance state never stops because they're in your home, they're in your phone, they're in your car, they know they're monitoring everything. And so if you pop up as a dissenter, they can very quickly identify you as a potential problem and then deal with you in some significant way. And they have, you know, especially to whistleblowers and those who have not been willing to go along with their agenda. So it was helpful for Google, her name, Barbara Hartwell. She writes a blog and she became my friend because um, she really believed many of the things that I was claiming about the whistleblower blowback that was landing on my head around um, my activism. And so she, in many ways, she saved my life. I know she saved my sanity because I was feeling incredibly alone and um, she validated the things that I told her that were happening to me. So I believe 9-11 was an inside job. I believe more than the Bush-Cheney uh, administration doing it, I believe it was deeper than that, bigger and broader, that it was, in fact, the deep state, the world government network. And uh, the goal was to put us all in a state of shock and awe. They used those very words on the day that we invaded Iraq, we want shock and awe. And um, again, psychological operations to control people and um, con continue the agenda to take over the food supply, to enrich themselves at the, um, you know, just at the loss of people's financial security, at, of their health and Today, it's an exciting day. So many people are waking up to these agendas and more people than ever before are absolutely clued in and aware to what the goals have been and that we have a group of people who set out to do it and um, they're being exposed. It's beautiful. They did not. They did not anticipate Donald Trump and all of us who have supported him. That was a shock and awe for them. And as Michael Moore rightly said on one of his um, shows that he did from Cleveland back in the day, right before the 2016 uh, or the 2017 inauguration, after the election, he said, middle America voting for Donald Trump was the biggest FU to the elites that's probably ever happened. And it was their moment to say, you know what, I've got this vote. I've got this vote. I'm going to use it. And we're not going to have another one of your toadies in the form of Hillary Clinton in here messing with the people. And so um, that side of it's been beautiful for me to watch. Uh, they continue to sputter whenever his name comes up. They hate him. And yet time marches on. You know, they're trying to arrest all of his people right now and serve them with subpoenas and mess with them in every possible way, lawfare, legally, just, you know, Ellen kicked me out again. This is a record. What, six times now? Um, Banana Republic American style, where we have a, a segment of the population that thinks they're free, 
that thinks they're enjoying free speech and, you know, ain't life great? And then another growing group of us going, what the heck? What the heck's going on? And so it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be aware and awake and watching and seeing what's happening. And um, I personally think when Poppy Bush, George, George Bush won and John McCain died, that was the old guard. That was the guys who were the creators of this infrastructure and their never-ending wars and CIA messing with people, messing with uh, those, those of us who've been truth-tellers and whistleblowers. When they died, it was a beautiful time in America to have those two people gone. Because these guys who are coming up after them, their own kids, their friends and cronies, they can't get away with what, what they did, you know, Bush and, and uh, McCain got away with in the 70s and 80s. You know, th- there was such a lockdown over the media and, and the thought and even talk radio. You know, before Rush Limbaugh, there was this fairness doctrine that made it almost impossible for conservatives to have conversations uh, out loud. You know, we were able to have our own newspapers and magazines, but that was it. And then Rush came on the scene with his radio show. And everything started to change. You know, you have this conservative thought and it grew and grew. And Rush came on the scene the year that I had my first baby. And I remember just as a young mom listening to him. And then I love to watch C-SPAN, the Washington shows, call-in shows they did every day. I love to watch. I was a C-SPAN junkie before I was a call-in junkie. And I love to hear people's thoughts on politics from around the country. And they had a Republican line and they had a Democrat line and independent line and people call in and talk about the issues of the day. And I think in America, we've had such a hunger for truth telling and then to watch the canceling of so many of us, even right now during the show, I've been canceled from my own show six times during the show, Twitter pulled, YouTube pulled, not, we don't want to hear from you, Jenny Hatch, Trump supporter slash nine 11 conspiracist and uh, anti-vaccination uh, harpy. We don't want to hear from you. We have our agendas. They're working fine. We're making lots of money, making lots of people sick, and you just shut up. You know, it goes on. But even so, you know, I can still blog my content at Substack. I can still still share a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. Nothing political about vaccines. That's going to get you canceled. But at least I can interact with my family and friends a little bit. But this canceling, Simone Gold, the spectacle of Simone Gold, being in prison, federal prison, for a misdemeanor. It, it doesn't get any funnier than that, in my opinion. And I feel for her being away from her family. But as she walked out of that prison the other day with that big old smile on her face, I was like, rock on Simone. We have nothing to be afraid of. They are afraid of us. They are afraid. me being bumped out of my own show. I'm going to I'm going to wind it down. It's obvious nobody's getting in to talk to me. Whether that's because you don't want to or you can't see it. I don't know what's going on with Colin. But I do know that I have tried to walk by faith and putting my own smarts to the test in terms of figuring out what's what, you know, always being willing to say, is there another way to look at this? Is there something happening behind the curtain that I can't quite see? You know, 
And I appreciate anybody who has a view on 9-11 that perhaps is different than mine. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but um, I think, like I said, I'm going to wind this down now, but I, I hope going forward, we're at 21 years after the event. I hope going forward, no matter what comes out and uh, we're hearing things about new documents, 20 year old videos, nobody's seen as new information comes out. I hope we will all open our hearts and minds to being surprised at what really went down. So thank you for listening. I hope you're having a great day. Goodbye.